Our second reading is from the Christian scriptures from the gospel according to St. John. Listen now. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, fill them with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Once again, I am very happy to be here, happy to be worshiping with you. I was here last Sunday and will be here next Sunday. And it's always a joy to be part of this community and to consider myself a part of what you affectionately call the diaspora. So I'm glad to be here and thank you once again for this privilege and invitation. So, extravagance. Now, all through the first part of the liturgy, it's taken on a pretty positive note, this word, but sometimes I think we hear that word in a slightly negative way, and maybe not so slightly, that sometimes we think, especially if it's others, we sometimes think them to be frivolous, if we say extravagant or even flighty or a show-off or exhibiting an exaggerated, way-beyond-the-pale lifestyle. So as we begin to consider this incident in the life of Jesus, this wedding at Cana, we might need to readjust or reframe our feelings and thoughts and emotions about the word Extravagance, because extravagance is definitely what is at the heart 
of this miracle of turning water into wine. When you consider that the six stone jars that were filled to the brim with water were 20 to 30 gallons each, it figures up to be at least 700 and probably more normal-sized bottles of wine in our time. You think that's enough? (laughs) Uh, We might even say an extravagant amount of wine for one wedding reception in a small first-century Galilean village because what we're seeing... Now, everyone in the village is invited. There's no question about that, but they're... If there's a hundred adults there, that's a lot, probably less. And keep in mind, they ran out of the wine midway through the celebration, (laughs) or maybe even more. Maybe they're near the end. And suddenly, they have 700 plus bottles of wine. And good wine. And I know you in California know what that means, what good wine is. Water into wine. Jesus did this, our scripture says, as the first of his signs. The first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. Biblical scholar Gail R. O'Day states that The story, this story, invites the reader to see what the disciples saw. That in the abundance and graciousness of Jesus' gift, one begins to catch a glimpse of the identity and character of God. The extravagant abundance of grace and compassion and kindness and love at the heart of God. And I would suggest the abundance of God's justice as well, because we cannot speak of God's compassion and love without also speaking at the same time of God's justice. The story invites the listener, and therefore it's inviting us as we hear it, To trust, to trust that at the heart of God, at the heart of all things in the created universe, is this incredible abundance, more than enough for all. The story also invites us to understand that there was not, as people came into this wedding celebration, there was not some kind of poll or survey taken to see who was the most religious or who was the most faithful or who was in the right ethnic group or who belonged to the correct belief system. No, the first of Jesus' signs was abundance that was meant for all who entered there and anyone who might wander in after the party began, the alien or the stranger. There certainly was enough. You see, finally, the story invites us to consider and to trust that in this world, This world, 
undergirded by the justice and love and compassion of God. There is enough for everyone. Enough of the basic essentials of life, food, shelter, and clothing for everyone. Enough forgiveness, enough compassion and grace and love, enough for new life, life that is as rich, as rich as the finest wine. Thus, in this first sign of turning water into wine, Jesus intends and invites us, intends that we trust this, that we trust that there is enough. There's no mode of scarcity here, that kind of scarcity mode we get ourselves into quite easily. If we but have the faith and the will to understand and to share and to realize it. Well, I don't know about you, but lately for me, there are days when I find myself unsure of all of this and a bit overwhelmed and find myself desperately wanting to believe it. Days when I desperately want to believe and trust that God does really intend for all to have enough and more than enough, that I want to believe that compassion and kindness and justice are at the heart of creation, that I want to believe that it isn't simply a futile exercise to trust that Jesus meant what he said when he said, love your enemy, that he meant what he said when he said, forgive 70 times 7. And that he meant all of it because it is possible. And it is what life and faith are all about. And that to trust that, in the end, the love and compassion of God will win the day. But I will have to admit, in this angry and fear-filled world, that I sense myself living in, that I sense we are living in, I often feel abandoned almost. And maybe you do too. As if the wine truly has run out, the richness and abundance of grace-filled life has somehow run out or is running out and will run out for good. And I feel myself giving in to fear, even cynicism, even despair, and letting dangerous anger overtake me. But in reality, in reality, if I say I follow Jesus, and I have said that, and I have said, yes, I'm committed to all of this, if I say I'm going to follow Jesus, if I dare stand up here in this pulpit, for goodness sake, 
to preach, then what is my option? I, I have to trust to take that Kierkegaardian leap of faith to trust and to act. In this scary, crazy time in which we live, with some of the scary proposals that seem to be made that only serve, in my mind, to marginalize or even oppress whole large groups of people, I'm reminded of what Protestant pastor Martin Niemöller said in the 1930s in Nazi Germany. He lived in Germany during the Nazi regime and he did finally emerge as a public foe of Adolf Hitler and then spent seven, the last seven years of the Hitler regime, the Nazi regime, in concentration camps. He's best remembered for these words. Actually, the quote itself can be found in various forms, but this particular rendition comes to us from the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, and I entrust their integrity and their scholarship. And this is what he said. First, they came for the socialists, he said. And I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. And then they came for the trade unionists. And I didn't speak out because I'm not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews. And I didn't speak out because I'm not a Jew. And then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. His point was that too many Protestant leaders in 1930s Germany were complicit by their virtue of silence, including him initially although he certainly did find his voice by 1938. Water into wine, the first of Jesus' signs. Sign of abundant, extravagant grace and love and compassion. I wonder and this truly is a question of mine. Are we approaching a time somewhat like existed in Nazi Germany because of fear and anger combining with prejudice and hate to create a really dangerous mix I don't honestly know the answer to that question. I don't want to be unnecessarily an alarmist. But I am convinced of this, 
I am convinced that this is not a time for silence. And it is not a time to remain on the sidelines in any way. It is instead time for any of us who purport to follow Jesus to speak out forcefully for the compassion and grace and justice that are at the very heart of the gospel, the abundance, the extravagance. To speak out on behalf of desperate refugees, on behalf of those who are the victims of violence, on behalf of those who live in fear because of anger and hate directed at them, simply because of how they exercise their faith, or simply because of the way they look, or simply because of the way they are, how they are oriented, it is time to forcefully say on behalf of the gospel of love that there is enough for everyone to partake in the richness of life if we but have the faith to walk with the Holy One in order to usher in the reign of God. For indeed, that message was, according to John's Gospel, that there is more than enough that was the very first of Jesus' signs. And it was in Cana of Galilee. And it revealed nothing less than glory. Amen. Please stand as together we affirm that in which we trust and in which we believe. We believe in God whose extravagance overwhelms us, whose abundance is mind-boggling, whose grace upholds us. We believe in Christ 
who shows us how to receive extravagantly, to live abundantly, to share the grace that is given. We believe in spirit who empowers us to live in fullness, to reject notions of scarcity, and to live as people who are God's delight. This we believe. Amen.